Hi, everybody. I'm Patrick McEnroe, and this is Holding Court. All right, welcome, everyone. Another edition of Holding Court. And as I promised my listeners here, I will stay on this Peng Shui story. And uh, we just continue to go deeper and deeper with this. And I'm very lucky and privileged to have on someone who knows about this world inside and out a lot more than we do in the tennis world. His name is Peter Dolan, um, and he is the owner, the founder of Safeguard Defenders, which is an NGO, and he has been very involved in uh, situations like this that Peng Shui has gone through in China. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining me and lending your expertise here to my listeners. Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, I hope I can perhaps help a little bit at least. Well, you've already helped a lot because, uh, you know, reading your open letter that you published uh, to the IOC was uh, absolutely just, just genius, the way you put it together and wrote about it. And essentially, um, what you talked about in your letter, your open letter to the IOC, um, you said that it was very similar to something that you went through when you were forced to apologize to the Chinese government uh, on state television back in 2016 after China uh, had accused you of working for an illegal organization uh, that sponsored uh, activities that jeopardized China's national security. So you sort of knew, I guess, right away when you saw this coming to light with Peng Shui, what this was all about. Yeah, um, as far as we can see, and I think one of the defining characteristics with the case is, of course, that we don't know anything for sure, and that's the main problem, but there were two issues at hand right away, and one, of course, was her disappearance after the initial accusation uh, against, actually, the leader of the preparations of the Winter Olympics, uh, John Gowley, uh, and the other one was the stage-managed uh, appearances that she's been forced to make along with likely fake emails, etc. And these are two issues that personally I've experienced, but also there are two issues that safeguard defenders have studied and documented and reported on quite, quite frequently and in depth. Uh, so certainly there was a lot of similarities very early on. Well, you say in your open letter, and I'm just going to read from it, Peter, because it's absolutely brilliant the way you put it together and, and laid it out. And, and I'm quoting now, the practice of staged managed appearances is most often referred to as forced television confessions, though recently PRC, People's Republic of China, police will more often resort to posting such videos on their social media channels or have newspapers carry them on their websites. Again, end quote. This is part of what you wrote in your open letter to the IOC. Uh, I've also listened to a few of uh, the interviews that you've given uh, in the last couple of weeks, Peter, and, and one of the things that I think my listeners will certainly be interested in is what you think has happened since November 2nd when Peng Shui uh, put out her initial post when she accused someone uh, in the... In the in the political power that he was in of, of abusing her, of, of raping her, basically. Uh, what do you think life has been like for her in the last six weeks since she put, put that out? Uh, yeah, well, to begin with, I mean, she is not what you would consider a, a dissident or, or a critic of the government, and I think the government is aware of this. So even though she has probably experienced use my language, but it's just sort of pain and probably is very scared. 
Uh, I don't think she's being intentionally mistreated. I think that's just a consequence of the system. Uh, when it comes to her situation, we knew early on that even the CCP could not have her arrested for making these allegations, especially not in the run-up to the Olympics. Uh, so instead, it's almost certain that she's been placed either in what's called residential surveillance, which is just house arrest, basically, or residential surveillance at a designated location, usually called RSBL, which can... The easiest way to describe it to a foreign audience really is to think Guantanamo Bay. Mm -hmm. They are secret jails run by the police where people can be taken and managed for up to six months at secret locations. Uh, and many of the people that we've seen, myself included, but many of my colleagues and friends who have appeared in these kind of stage-managed appearances were inside the RSDL system when it happened. Uh, so it's very likely that she is on either of these two systems, when one, of course, house arrest being a lot softer and, you know, less extreme, the other one, RSDL, being basically a secret jailing. And, and you were in the RSDL, correct, Peter, for about a month, I believe, and, that, and that's when you were uh, sort of schooled on your forced confession. So why don't you just tell uh, my listeners a, just a little bit of background on how that came about or what that was like for you personally? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, back in those, the RSDL system was still quite new, and even us working within the human rights field were not entirely aware of what it was. Uh, but at that point, I had a number of colleagues that have disappeared. Later, we learned taken into the RSDL system for a period of about six months. Uh, and later on, in early 2016, uh, they came for me, they came for my girlfriend, they came for a number of other colleagues and we were all placed into the RSDL system. Uh, the same system that would later be used against the two Canadian Michaels, for example, uh, and has gotten a lot more attention recently. Uh, so we got to sort of experience this system firsthand. And what it is basically is that they keep you in solitary confinement, incommunicado, uh, many times up to six months. I personally got lucky, uh, but most people do not get lucky. Uh, and when you're inside, I mean, they use this system for disappearances rather than detaining people because it gives them much more power. Once inside, there is literally no form of appeal or redress. There is no supervision. They can basically do whatever they want and no one will ever know about it. Uh, so if you're going to force someone to, for example, record a video uh, and then have it released, in my case, on, on national TV, it's ideal and very suitable. Uh, and of course, that's what happened. Um, so, 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 it, w as regards to Peng Shui, so you're thinking that uh, uh, you know, just kind of interested in in the details because this is just mind-boggling. What what happens and your story, particularly, you were just there as a student. You studied political science. You went to China to, to sort of experience life. You got into uh, human rights. So that that's your story. But for Peng Shui. Let's, you know, she puts out this post, very emotional, very raw, very forthcoming, obviously. And within, you know, 30 minutes, it's stripped. It's taken off the Internet in China. You can't even search tennis for a period of time if you're searching the Internet in China. So you're, you're guessing from your experience that a bunch of CCP or whomever they may be came to her place of residence 
and sort of sat down with her and then sort of went, you know I, i'm i'm trying to think of what leading then to the 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 ridiculous email that she sent she supposedly sent to Steve Simon the head of the women's tennis association and then obviously the stage uh, video calls with the IOC the stage pictures apparently in a restaurant or the videos sort of walk us through how you think that went down yeah i mean to begin with i don't think ms pung were really aware of what could happen when she when she made that post. As you said, it was obviously very emotionally heavy for her. I mean, you can see that in the writing. Um, but most of these issues, I said, you know, they're not very well known, but at least we are able to talk about it. In China, this is not something you can read about or talk about. Uh, most people outside of a very small group of people are not aware that such a thing exists as uh, forced televised confessions, RSDL system for disappearing people, people are simply not aware of it. So I think the shock factor for her must be incredible, really. Um, in this case, whether she was put under house arrest or RSDL, of course they would have arrived at her apartment real quick, probably together with someone from the Chinese side of the local IOC or someone related to the sports administration, I'm sure. Uh, whether they simply sat down with her, placed her under effective house arrest, and have then been guiding her through these steps, or if she was taken to one of these RSDL facilities to live in one of these suicide-padded solitary confinement cells, it's impossible for us to know right now. But regardless, she would have been placed under control. Uh, and whether she is in house arrest or in RSDL, she would have people with her 24 hours a day. Uh, I mean, I had guards inside my room, not, not allowed to speak to me, simply just looking at me 24 hours a day, working in shifts, always two people, always four eyes looking at you nonstop. And you said in one of your, excuse me, Pete, you said in one of your uh, articles or one of your interviews that they, were t they would be taking notes, the two people watching all, all the time, all the time. Yes, 24 hours a day. So they work six hours each, uh, two people, uh, and then in six-hour shifts. And yes, they take note of any movement you make, uh, anything really. Uh, you know, it's obviously there to supervise you so that you don't try to kill yourself, but it's also a way to exert control uh, so that when they're ready, you are ready to do whatever they ask of you, which could be, you know, an appearance at a sporting event in this case, or it could be recording a video, etc. The other thing I've heard you say, Peter, uh, in, in talking about this issue is that you, you believe through your experience that Peng Shui is, is safe, meaning she's, she's healthy, she's okay, she's not in any physical danger. Obviously, there's the mental anguish that she must be going through. But, you know, for me, someone that knows her, you know, I, I, she, when she first came to the United States uh, and playing tennis, she was a teenager, and I was on her world team tennis team, which is a, 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 the team tennis league that Billie Jean King started, you know, 40-plus years ago where men and women play together on a team. And so I, I have a personal connection to her, as do many people, obviously, in, in, in my world, in the tennis world. So, number one, we, we, we want to know that she's okay. Uh, physically, and you, you seem to think that she is. So I want to ask you two things. One, what do you think of how the Women's Tennis Association has handled this? That's number one. And then number two, I think we want to jump into what you've been focusing on so much, which is how the Olympic Committee has handled this. Yeah, uh, those are really interesting questions, especially you know putting them next to each other. 
but first to reiterate that I do think that she's being treated relatively well, at least physically. Uh, I don't think anyone would, would dare, not with the attention at least, to physically mistreat her. So I think we can you know, rest assured that she's, she's in pretty good shape, again, physically speaking. Uh, I think it's more a matter of a, of a mental shock to realize that you know, these people could have such tremendous power over her and her life when she's done nothing wrong. Uh, I think that's probably her, her main concern right now. Um, when it comes to the WTA and, and, and Simon in particular, uh, it's not that they've acted so incredibly well. It's just that they've acted not bad. And I think for many, that's a revelation because most entities and organizations dealing with China have acted very poorly in these situations in the past. And the WTA have decided to stand up for, for one of their members here. And that, I think, have inspired a lot of people. Uh, Steve Simon has said that he believes that the initial emails were I think I'm quoting here, 100% manufactured or orchestrated. Right. Um, and they've also made it clear that learning about the different issues we're talking about here, disappearances, we're talking about uh, these page-managed appearances, they've gone out of their way to find information and sort of try to learn what's the most likely situation that she's in. Uh, the IOC, on the other hand, despite the fact that there is such ample amount of information on this subject out there now, largely thanks to safeguard defenders, have seemingly stuck their head in the sand, uh, acting as if information could complicate their, their situation, their role. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why on December 8th, we actually filed an official ethics complaint with the IOC's ethics board against uh, the IOC president and a number of other people. Uh, we believe they are operating in clear violation of the charter of the IOC, and we want them to be held responsible for it. And and what did you make? Because I, I mean, I know what how I how, what I thought when I saw the initial interviews with uh, some of the IOC officials. I was just uh, disgusted, to be honest. To to you know to hear people say that oh, there were some ex athletes you know that were speaking to her on this video chat, which as you rightly point out has never been released, right? None of it's ever come to light. And you ask in your open letter, why do you think that is? Um, but w when you heard, when you started to hear uh, from officials of the IOC, did I mean how clear and obvious was was it to you that they were just being becoming a mouthpiece for the Chinese government? Well, I think the first uh, sort of press release that they made about having a conversation, it could potentially have been just lack of understanding, lack of information. Some people think that might be too nice of an interpretation, but, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but the main problem, of course, was that they have not actually released these recordings. They've only said that they've had them, and that's it, and that's the problem. Then, of course, with the second one, it's become very clear that they keep using the IOC as some kind of damage control mechanism. The IOC, IOC and their behavior is becoming a media exercise for the Chinese Communist Party in this particular case. Uh, and that's obviously incredibly uh, problematic. And on top of that, I mean, they keep saying the same thing, namely that the IOC needs to maintain political neutrality. The problem, of course, is that this is the opposite of political neutrality, since they are helping uh, the CCP here try to sort of kill the story. Uh, and that's actually also very dangerous for Peng, 
because she is protected right now because of the attention, because of the discussion. Uh, so for them to try to sort of, again, kill the story is actually hurting her, not helping her. You're listening, everyone, to Holding Court, and my guest is Peter Dolan. He's the director of human rights NGO Safeguard Defenders, and I invite you to go to safeguarddefenders.com to learn more about his incredible organization and his dedication uh, and his team to human rights. It's absolutely uh, unbelievable uh, the amount of information and the amount of effort that they're putting into that uh, in, in helping people, helping societies around the world. So when you look at the Beijing Olympics coming up, just in a couple of months, Peter, what, you know, you've already heard from a couple of governments, including the United States, Australia, um, UK, there's going to be a diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. What do you think, do you think anything else should happen to, uh, and, and if so, and, and for whatever your answer is to that question, I guess my follow-up is why, like what, what is it going to take or are we, are we dreaming if we think that we're going to change anything about what they're doing in China? Well, uh, every day you, you get information these days about yet another country announcing a so-called uh, political boycott. I think it's close to 10 now. Uh, so I think that will continue to sort of roll on over the next month, uh, partly depending on how the IOC acts, actually. Uh, so that's certainly going to happen, and that will keep driving attention to the issue uh, to counter the acts of the IOC and, of course, of the Chinese government here. And again, it's incredibly important if your main concern is her personal safety. Uh, we conduct exit interviews with people from detention and prison quite regularly, and one thing we can see in every single case is that when there is more attention in the media or politically people's treatment inside becomes better. This is across the board. Uh, so that's incredibly important to realize. And if you are you know, a tennis player, you're someone with stature or a social media outlet, I mean, I would encourage you to continue to speak out on her behalf and ask questions and demand you know, a proper full release for her. I think it will be very important. Um, when it comes to other actions that can be taken, there's quite a lot of it, but obviously it cannot be related to only one individual case. Uh, for her case as an individual, it's the attention that matters. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see a resolution to her case until after the Olympics is concluded and until the government is certain that this Me Too accusation and the movement it represents doesn't flare up inside the country because this is one of the things they really fear. Do they fear um, the CCP, uh, the negative sort of political backlash from this, these types of things, or do they fear losing the business? Because obviously for so long, I mean, China, we all know how the world is interconnected globally, economically, including, of course, here in the United States, you know, maybe more than any other country with China. So that's become you know, more and more relevant as China has grown in stature economically. But do, do you feel that they're, as a, as a system of government now, as worried about losing um, part of their economy because of these types of situations? Or are they so big now that they can say, hey, you know, we, we can sort of do this alone. We don't care if the WTA doesn't come to China. or We don't care if the NBA doesn't do business. It's going to hurt them more than it's going to hurt us. Do you, what, what's the mindset now economically, do you think, of the leaders of the country? 
Well, we actually have a very good example that disproves that theory. Uh, it's very tempting for people to believe it. Uh, I personally believe it's not correct. Uh, but one of the things we haven't seen so far is Ms. Peng appearing on national TV. If they really wanted to, to set this issue aside, she would likely appear in some kind of Oprah-like type interview on CGTN and CCTV, the two main stations. But she has not. And the reason for that is that we forced them to stop this practice. Uh, we've got them taken off the air and also been given significant fines for broadcasting this kind of content in other countries where that's illegal. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know that they desperately want to build an international media empire because they are a big country and they need something on, of that stature. It's very important for them. Uh, so by going after their broadcasting rights in other countries on the basis of these stage-managed forced televised appearances, we've been able to force them to stop because they want to maintain their TV channel more than they want to engage with these kind of televised confessions. So it's all about finding points of leverage, and there is points of leverage almost everywhere. China needs international cooperation in almost every area. The problem is that we can we tend to give them what they want without making demands. Mm. And now they have indeed gotten used to it because we've been treating them that way ever since uh, roughly 1992. Uh, and if you do that for 30 years, of course, that affects people's thinking. Uh, and, and it's going to be more difficult now to get them to change that behavior. But it is possible because they want several things. And if we withhold some of them, they will have to change for the others. So there is possibilities here. So, uh, when people tell you there is no leverage, there is no ability to influence the actions of the CCP, they should not be trusted because they are simply wrong. Interesting. No, I, I, love, I love what you said there. We have to increase the put the, the more demand on them. And 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 I remember right when this first happened, Peter, when when they actually came back with a, a quick response. Um, meaning through the you know the bogus email, I remember my first reaction was, well, well, at least they, at least we got a reaction, you know, you know what I mean. And then it's 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 continued obviously to to escalate with the multiple calls with uh, with the IOC, uh, the women's tour is still waiting to hear, and of course the women's tour has announced that they've suspended all tournaments in China. What I know you're not a tennis person per se, Peter, but do you think? And the women's tour has a huge economic. Uh, you know, foothold in China with, uh, I believe it's 10 or 11 tournaments, a lot more than the men's tour. By the way, I've called on the men's tour to join and they've uh, been reluctant to do so. They haven't done so yet. So, well, interesting to see how that plays out. But do you think that when uh, in a year from now uh, that the women's tour will have uh, played events in China this year or do you think not? Well, I think that to begin with is going to, depend on the leadership of the WTA. Uh, I think right now it's going to be difficult to go back to this so quickly unless there are some kind of confessions made uh, from, from the CCP in this matter. But you are entirely right. I mean, if they got their way and if it wasn't for the WTA, it's unlikely that we would be talking about this at all. Uh, so this attention has certainly forced them to take more and more drastic steps to try to address the issue. And by discussing it, we're also discussing other issues that affect, you know, tens of thousands of people every year in China. Uh, so it's certainly very helpful for that. And it is a form of leverage. Uh, it's not necessarily the most effective 
form of leverage, but it is raising the issues and it's an important first step. Um, whether we're going to see the women's tournament back in China anytime soon, I think it's a little bit too early to say because we really need to see what happens, not only with Peng, but with Yang Gaoli. We shouldn't forget that this is about you know, a senior government leader who allegedly raped someone. Uh, so there's really two, two, two people here that we need to keep focusing on. Yeah, it's inter- interesting how that's sort of gotten brushed under the rug, which I think I heard you say in one of your interviews, which is maybe sort of uh, a win for the CCP, that not, not many people are focusing on that aspect of it. It's more now become about the Olympics, about obviously we in the tennis world, about Pung, but uh, people seem to have sort of forgotten about the sexual allegations here. It is, and it's sad because over the last few months, there's been a number of high-profile disappearances of young women who are sort of leaders in trying to push Me Too issues in Chinese society. Uh, We know that some of them are indeed in RSDL, and their treatment is going to be many times worse than Mm. the situation for Pung. And, you know, they're not getting this attention. Uh, and on top of that, of course, uh, it's easy to forget that, you know, we're talking about a senior government leader abusing his position here, and it's easy to forget to talk about that, and it's important we don't. Well, it's been very important to keep this issue out in front, and Peter, I so appreciate you giving me this time uh, to discuss this. Uh, he is the Director of Human Rights, NGO, Safeguard Defenders, Peter Dolan, and uh, we in the tennis world, in the sports world, Peter, so appreciate uh, what you're doing on behalf of us in the sporting world and just on behalf of the world in general with your life's work. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, as I said, I hope that perhaps you can maybe learn a little bit at least about what's going on behind the scenes here. Well, that I definitely have. So thank you very much, Peter Dolan here on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.